Every follower of Jesus is a citizen of God's kingdom. Regardless of where they may live in this world or where they are located on this planet, uh, uh, every follower of Jesus is a citizen of God's kingdom. And our first loyalty uh, is always and always belongs to King Jesus as citizens of God's kingdom. Uh, everything else is secondary at best. Uh, and so we've been talking in this teaching series, we're discussing life in God's kingdom. Uh, our Bible foundation uh, for this uh, discussion is in the fourth chapter of the letter that Paul wrote to the first century church in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was a unique place. He spent more time in the city of Ephesus, the Apostle Paul did. He spent more time there than he did in any other place. Uh, there are some places that a month was a long time in some cities. Paul, Paul, Paul caused trouble wherever he went. Not in purpose, not on, well, yeah, sometimes I think he did it on purpose, but uh, he, he, he couldn't help himself. Because wherever he went, God did stuff and it shook things up. And, and people who don't like things shook up, yelled, don't rock the boat and got rid of it, or tried to. So we're in Ephesians chapter 4. This, Like I said, this is a, a letter. So I like to think of, when, instead of chapters, chapters make us think like it, it's a book. You know, I remember growing up when I was, when you were a big kid when you get to start reading chapter books. Right? Uh -huh. well, this is the fourth page of the letter. So I mean, it's a long letter and we're on the fourth page, but it's, it's not like a chapter book. Um, so we're in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read ver uh, verses 1 to 13, the first uh, like, like, uh, two, three paragraphs of uh, this page from the letter. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, Paul is in prison. He wrote like three or four letters while he was in prison. Like I said, he was a troublemaker. Uh, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Hang on to that line. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Now, what does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? 
He, he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Bear, just stop for a moment. In other words, Jesus went lower than anyone could possibly imagine going to go higher than anybody could possibly imagine going. So, because he descended and ascended, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Okay, so hold on to that. That's the second phrase I want you to hang on. The first one was, make sure to keep the unity of the Spirit. That was in the first paragraph, and now in this paragraph he says that these folks, these pastors, teachers, prophets, evangelists, and so on, are given to us so that we will build up until we all reach unity in the faith and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now I'm just going to plant a teaser here. Next week we're going to talk about what in the world does that mean? Because earlier in the book he talked about how God put all of his fullness in Jesus. And later in the book he's going to talk about how the Holy Spirit needs to fill us. And here we're supposed to grow up until we're full of the measure of Jesus. What in the world is he talking about? Come back next week. Either online or on site. Either way, you're not going to want to miss that. But since you're already here for today's message, let's dig it into it. So the first thing Paul wants us to understand is that God and God alone creates the unity in the spirit. He brings all kinds of people together into his kingdom family uh, through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and his reign. Now, this is one of the things that I think uh, most of us get wrong. Uh, I, I grew up in the church, so I, I've been around a long time, not as long as some. But I've been around longer than others. And I've been in the church uh, since, you know, like day five, if I, if I calculate it correctly. No, I'm sorry. If I calculate correctly, I'm born on Friday, Saturday, day three. Preacher's kid. You don't get a break when you're a preacher's kid. Doors open, you're there. So, all right, so I was there. And I've been in the church uh, off and on ever since. Uh, and if the doors were open, I was there. So this, and I've had opportunity to observe church people for a long time. I love to watch people. So here's some of the things I've noticed about church people and uh, people who call themselves Christian, whether they're in the church or not. That's another story. Uh, we tend to think of sinners as people who do really terrible things. People who become, in one way or another, evil. Uh, and so we have a hard time admitting, in fact, many times we, well, 
we just don't want to. But if we push comes to shove, we will admit that we're a sinner, uh, but we're just not one of the bad ones. And we may not say it out loud, but we feel like we don't really need Jesus quite as bad as those other people do. And I'm afraid to say that I know some, I've observed some, who feel like there's even a category that's beyond those people that need Jesus even worse than we do. And they think they're people that even Jesus can't help. <clears throat> those people really bother me. I'm sorry. So, and here's the problem. See, most people look at sin... Uh, think of sin in the category of ethics and moral failure. We think of it in terms of action. Our problem is that we think we're sinners because we've sinned. And to the extent that we've sinned, that's how bad a sinner we are. So if you haven't sinned a lot, then you're not a really bad sinner. But if you've sinned... Uh, if you've, done a lot of sins, then you're a really bad sinner. Are you following me? Have I lost anyone? I wish I could see the look on the faces of the people who are online. The good news is, as I look around the room of people and in sight, there's nobody snoring. I'm not sure they're all following me, but they're at least not snoring, which would be like what I used to do when I'm a Dadness preacher. All right, so here's the issue. Here's the problem. Sin is much bigger and much worse than we think it is. Here's the truth. We aren't sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. We're born into sin. Sin is the fundamental corruption and brokenness that's common to every single one of us. It's not something we choose. It's something that we, it, we have. Sin does not begin as a personal moral failure. It begins as a fundamental broken condition, like a disease or an infection that we're born with. So let me stop here and let me tell you how this, this is stands in stark contrast to Hallmark. Okay, maybe not Hallmark. Let's not blame Hallmark. This stands in stark contrast to the common idea of our culture that babies are born as a blank slate. Every human baby, cute, adorable human baby, is not born as a blank slate. Every single one is born a sinner, just like you and I. They just haven't had a chance to act on it yet. 
to some of that. You don't know how sweet my grandchildren are. Well, I know how sweet my grandchildren are. Uh, I don't know how sweet my kids were. I don't know how sweet I was. But I, I also know. I also know that there are times that we're all much safer in society when children are the weak little helpless things that they are because if their tempers were really <coughs> embodied in a full-size human being, they could kill us, and they would. Mm -hmm. you, you, you know, some of you are nodding your heads and you're going, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Why? Because we're fundamentally broken people. We're born broken. Here's the issue. Sin is much more like a cancer that we're born with than it is a moral failure. It leads to all kinds of failures. And no matter how much or how little we think we've sinned in terms of actual behavior, we all have the sickness in equal measure. And so when we stand shoulder to shoulder, there's not a single one of us who can look down on anybody else and say, I'm not as sick as you are. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. This is a secret that I know from watching church people. Church people do that kind of stuff. And here's what I know about church people who do that kind of stuff. That's one of those things that really, well, go read what Jesus said to people and Pharisees in the New Testament, in the Gospels. Those are the things that really upset. That's a good word. Those are, those are the things that really upset him, made him angry, made him say things that you go, I can't imagine Jesus calling people names like that. Well, it's because they were standing there, even though their behavior seemed to be all right on the outside, on the inside, they were just as sick, in fact, sicker than everybody else. Somebody's asking for an example. Oh, like, you guys are a bunch of whitewashed sepulchers. Outside, you look beautiful. In the inside, you're full of dead bones. How would you like to be called a pile of dead bones? I would love to be called skinny bones, but that's not what he was saying. We all have the sickness to equal measure, and we can't look down on anybody else. We are all the same. We're all just as sick. So here are two things that I'm saying here. There are our sins in terms of our behaviors, our moral failures, our actions that were wrong, and then there is our sin. Our sins are symptoms. Our sin is the sickness. And this is why our world is in the condition that it is in, is that all of us are sick. 
We just show it in different ways. Fortunately, we don't all show it in the worst possible way. Or we would have exterminated ourselves a long time ago. Amen. I think that's true. You know, when you think of it. Just personal confession, if everybody who pulled out in front of me and then slowed down actually got coming what I thought they had coming, <coughs> there'd be a whole lot fewer people in this world. <laughs> Nobody else feels that way. No. no. <laughs> Not at all. His office is open anytime. <laughs> <laughs> better than I used to be. I, I had a friend in another state, not this state, but he actually gave me a little ray gun to have in my car. <laughs> I could decide if I wanted to drop an atomic bomb on people or just shoot them with a taser. Okay, never mind. But that's, why? Why would that even cross my mind? Because I'm sick. So you go, <laughs> well, you're sick too, folks. That's right. That's the thing. We're all sick. Everyone is born with this sickness, and everyone, to a greater or lesser degree, manifests the symptoms of this sickness. The primary presenting symptom is selfism. That's the word we make up. Okay, it's self-centeredness, self-absorption, self-gratification, selfishness. It shows up in a thousand shades of of self-harm of ways that we hurt ourselves. And, but it doesn't stop there. It's not just things we do that hurt us. It's relational. Sin not only harms us, ourselves, but it always harms other people. Always harms other people. And it's always an act of rebellion against God. Ultimately, sin, that disease, and the actions, the symptoms of that disease mean detachment from ourselves, from each other, and from God. And that's why I want you to grab this, because this is important. That's why the opposite of sin is not good behavior. The opposite of sin is not straighten up and act right. <clears throat> the opposite of sin is love. That's why when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the commandments. That great commandment centers around loving God, others, and self. Love is holy, bonding, attachment to God, others, and self. It is the exact opposite of our sin sickness. 
So where does that leave us? Well, our tendency is that we want to manage symptoms. I want to act better than I usually do. So I've learned not to say some of the things that I would like to say when people pull out in front of me and slam on their brakes. I got a callus on my tongue, but I learned to manage that. I no longer carry a little spray gun in my car, or any gun for that matter, for those of you who need one. Here's the deal, we want to manage the symptoms, but God wants to deal with the sickness. In fact, he does deal with the sickness. We want to deal with our sins, God deals with our sin, and here's what he does. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus not only deals with the symptoms, but he goes straight to the sickness. He cures us from the sin cancer. He heals us. And then we have to learn a whole new way of living and relating. Our minds and hearts have to be reprogrammed to love as Jesus loves. And if that, does, if, if that sounds like it ought to be easy, you're not really picturing the problem. The problem is deeply ingrained into the way we think it. That's why we're called to a lifelong project of, that requires God's help of reprogramming our minds to think like him and to act like him and to love like him. Oh, good news. That was the first point. Point number two, Jesus... And the guy tells us, Paul points out that we, we are responsible for maintaining the unity by resisting the drive to insist on uniformity, by resisting the drive to think that everybody needs to act like us and to think like us and to talk like us. Uniformity in God's kingdom family flows from the fact that all of us focus on Jesus because he's the one who heals us from our sin, sickness, our sin, cancer, and sets us free from our sin behaviors and teaches us how to love each other. He's the center. He's the focus. And Jesus gave us this really amazing strategy uh, for, for how to recognize his followers. And it had nothing to do with the list of behaviors. It had nothing to do with the list of, uh, of uh, ancestry or language or political affiliations or you name it. This is what he says. A new command I give you. Some of you are halfway ahead of me. You know where I'm going, but it's, it's what Jesus said. I, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And 
He points out that we have to love each other the way he loves us. Jesus is building a different kind of community in the world. It's a community founded in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And it's a group of people who are mysteriously caught up and lit up by the interrelationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's something about the love that's shared by the Trinity that's supposed to light us up and fill us up and so that every one of us who is a citizen and a part of God's kingdom family begins to live and talk and act like them. One of my favorite authors, J.D. Wall, says, the reputation of, of the church in the world will never rise above the quality of the relationships within it. Just think about that for a minute. <clears throat> the reputation of the church in the world will never rise above the quality of the relationships within it. Why are so many people leaving the church? Why are so many people outside the church thinking the church is totally irrelevant and unnecessary? I'm going to read the sentence one more time. The reputation of the church in the world will never rise above the quality of the relationships within it. Jesus said, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Folks, you think that everybody who calls himself a Christian loves everybody else who loves? You're not paying attention. We are so busy trying to build walls and say, I'm not like them, and we're not like them, and we're not, and that, not, and that, and that, and I sure hope those people really are saved because I don't think so. What? See, then I start getting upset. Jesus himself prayed. He, he asked God. He says, he prayed that all of them, all of his future, future disciples, that the, all of them would be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. Why would he do that? And he answered the question in the very next day, so that the world will believe that you have sent me. Why are there so many people having a hard time believing that Jesus was sent by God? Probably because we don't love each other the way we're supposed to. makes sense that Paul will put all his eggs in this basket, though, when he says we are to maintain the unity and the peace of the Spirit. He gets it. So where, because where there's great love, where we learn to love each other the way Jesus loved us, please think about how much he loved us. If you're not quite sure shape of this lectern will give you an idea. Where there's that kind of love. Love is shaped like a cross. Miracles happen. 
What if the community of the church was a place where the love for one another was so tangible, nothing was impossible? Think of the witness this world would be watching. Think about what this world would be seeing. The apostles. Believe it or not, I'm going to tie all this together in a moment. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers are gifts from Jesus to his people to prepare all the saints to serve people, all kinds of people, each other and people even outside of the kingdom family, still outside but ready to come in, until we all experience unity. This unity that Jesus wants us to have. So here, let me let me do. I'm going to do this fast because, well, if you want in depth descriptions of each of these, we can do that another time. If a person serves as an apostle, they help God's people start new things. Apostles take the gospel, take the message of Jesus to new people in new places in new ways. And their responsibility is to help the rest of the kingdom family know how to do those new things. If you serve as a prophet, you help God's people grasp the deep truth about who God is and what he's doing. If you serve as an evangelist, you help God's people share the good news about Jesus and his kingdom. If you serve as a pastor, you help God's people care for hurting people. If you serve as a teacher, you help God's people explain important ideas about living in God's kingdom family. You see, the end game of each one of these people with these gifts that were given as gifts is not to provide a stage or a platform for these individuals. The end game, the purpose of them these gifts is to train all of us to do what they do so that we all become mature in our walk with Jesus and so that we can help all kinds of people in all kinds of situations. And when we don't work with each other and we don't equip each other with the gifts we have, we're really missing the whole reason for whatever gift God has given us. So here's the sermon in the sentence. People loved by Jesus link arms and learn to love people as Jesus loves. People loved by Jesus link arms and learn to love people as Jesus loves. Uh, we often go through three stages at, to, as we learn to love others as Jesus loved. Loving as Jesus loves does not come naturally. Because we were born with this selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed sin, sin sickness, and we were raised in the culture of, of that, and we that's the way we think and act and talk and relate to people, and so it is completely unlike us to love people like Jesus does. 
So in the first stage, we love others for our own sake. We, we, we want to obey Jesus, and so we do our best to love other people because we know that he knows what's best for us, and besides, who wants to make Jesus mad? Not me. I want to be on his good side. So I'm going to love as many people as I possibly can. And then I run into people that I can't. Uh-oh. So the first stage is kind of like we try to hang on to it, do it in our, for, by ourselves, for ourselves. The second stage, we learn to love others for their sake. We're trying to do something good for them. Although we tend to love the lovable, we have more problems with the unlovable folks. And, you know, Jesus loves the unlovables. I know, because I are one. As much as I would like to think that I'm not. The final stage, the third stage, is that by the grace and mercy of God alone, we come to the place where we learn to love others for Jesus' sake. To love another person for Jesus' sake means to love them with the very same love that Jesus has loved us with. In this sense, it is impossible to love another person apart from the Holy Spirit. can't do it. In fact, that's the primary ministry and mission of the Holy Spirit, to, to inhabit our lives, to fill us, so that we begin to love others as Jesus has loved us. This is the sum total of God's will for us. In fact, that is the sum total of the two great commandments and of Jesus' description of how we will be known as his disciples, where he wants us to love others as Jesus has loved People loved by Jesus link arms and learn to love people as Jesus loves them. I want you to imagine with me for a moment. If you need to close your eyes and use your imagination, feel free to do that. It's all right. I'm not going to do anything tricky. I just want you to imagine for a moment a congregation that welcomes the Holy Spirit to do what only God can do. A congregation where their love for each other is so intense that literally anyone who becomes a part of that congregation can be changed and begin to love like Jesus does. That it's not just a theory, but it's an actual reality and practice. It's not one of those things of, wow, that really sounds nice, but the, where people are regularly, constantly, consistently going, I used to not, but now I, I, I do love like I never loved before. Imagine a congregation where people's love for each other is so intense that literally anyone can be changed. Would you want to join that congregation? Would you invite other people to join you in experiencing Jesus' love 
in that congregation. I would. You imagine this congregation where there's so much love that anything can happen and anybody's life, life can be changed and anyone can be transformed. Do you think that there would be a line of people waiting to find out what in the world is going on with these folks? So why would we settle for merely dreaming about a church that maybe somewhere some might be like that? Why wouldn't we pray that God makes us that church? Why not pray that whatever it takes So full of Jesus' love that we change and that anybody who comes can be changed, transformed, set free to love like you do. to invite you if, you, if you would like to be, to see that, you want that to happen in you and in us, feel free to stand right where you are, just saying, Jesus, I want this, I want to be a church, be a part of a church where your love is so tangible and real, people are changed, where I'm changed. I'm praying if you want to use my words, fine. If you want to change the words and, and use your own, that's good too. But let's ask God to do what only He can do. King Jesus, I want you to start with me. Light the fire of your holy love. changed by that fire. 
clings until your love motivates and shapes everything I do. Spirit, we welcome you to do what only you can do. Spread the fire of your holy love through our whole congregation. We stand before you as individuals who want nothing less. Make the blaze of your love in us a demonstration of your glory. Almighty God, only you can do this. Only you can fill us with a love that is so intense that anyone, literally anyone, can be changed and transformed and become more like Jesus. But I'm ready. Again, I ask you to begin with me. We're ready. Include us. Include all of us. Come Holy Spirit and teach us to love each other and everyone else as Jesus has loved us. Let it be so in his name. Amen. Well, you are sent. Jesus.